0: Well, hello, everybody. It's good to be back uh, again today. Today's topic is cover crop failures. Do you have a plan B? And we were just chatting a little bit here before uh, we started recording and and someone said, is next week going to be plan C and the following week going to be plan D? And I said, well, that that actually would be reality here sometimes. But I think we'll just focus on plan B today. Uh, so uh, so be, be, because that's Probably most of us have, have encountered this at some point where things did not go as well as planned. And I see a, a very, uh, I guess you'd say, clear fork in the road with those people who, when Plan A does not work out, how they react then, to that challenge or that lack of expectation or that failure, how they react to that is critical on either what they learn from it or, or how they recoup, uh, and maybe even turn out better than they even expected from plan A. So I, that's the reason I wanted to capture this topic because a lot of it's going to have to do with a mindset, but it's uh some fundamental things to do. And I'm going to show you some examples from my own experience over the time because believe me, I've had uh I've had plenty of failures and um I just had a group uh, from Europe in here in my farm this morning and I was showing them some things. I said, you know what? I'm trying this here. I don't think it's gonna work. It doesn't look like it's gonna work. Uh but uh it's small scale, I can afford to lose it. Uh but I'm also going to show you, uh, and it's those of you who have been following Facebook, about my uh, my big failure, I guess you would say, this year. that's not turning out too bad after all. So that's a few things to lead into my topic today. Uh, let's get right into it here. Uh, what could possibly go wrong with cover cropping? And I could say everything could go wrong. And sometimes I think we as cover crop advocates, we certainly want to expels all the virtues of cover cropping and so forth and that's all good we need to do that be positive and everything but there's a reality out there that it doesn't always go as planned and I listed some of the things here big stuff that doesn't always can, can be influencing when plan A does not work of course the weather is a big one um, the whole interaction and the use of herbicides is another and not having the right equipment, or not having to know how to run the equipment, is another, and and then finally uh, management, which can kind of combine all the above there, but just simply management and knowing how to manage what you have in front of you, what what is uh, what is presented, be it with the uh, with the weather or with uh, any of these things listed here. So uh, some of the specifics that have been maybe fall into the plan B scenarios is like well, the annual rye grass didn't die when I wanted it to. Or as in my case this year, the corn came up before burn down. What do I do now? Non-GMO corn. How am I going to control this cover crop? And I'm going to talk about that one. Uh, planting equipment inadequate. Just don't have the right setup in the planter. Or because the cereal rye grew so high, my planner can't handle that. Now what am I going to do? Or uh, maybe I got the wrong cover crop mix ratio, and that's kind of minor. But you know, you learn from these things, and uh, you know, you 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 move on. How you adapt and how you how you respond to this can either make you frustrated at cover crops and you give up, or you take this opportunity to see what you can learn. So. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to say that getting off on the right foot is is really important. Let's try to get Plan A to work, uh, so we don't have to do Plan B. And it's kind of obvious, but part of that is understanding that there are challenges. Every single cover cropping farmer has challenges. Every crop scout, those of you in education, you got challenges out there. That's what you're there for. That's what uh, you're trying to help figure out, to do things better. Uh, so you need to be a compulsive learner. And, and, and you know, hopefully that will fend off some of the problems or some of the lack of expectations. Um, I've said this before. I've shown this slide before. But get inspired by the cheerleaders. And the cheerleaders are are people that you listen to or read about that it's like, you know, these cover crops are so fantastic. I've used them on my farm and they do everything but all but miracles to my soil. Yeah, that's, that's true. I get that. And, uh, and, and we need the cheerleaders out there that are, that are cheering us on to say you can do it and everything. But you really want to follow the mentors, the ones who are practicing what you want to accomplish. Those of you who are in education, focus in on that farmer who seems to be successful, seems to get it right. Um, and and so, so what I'm saying by this opening part here is let's try to avoid Plan B if we can. But Plan B is going to happen, but let's try to avoid it so we don't have as many Plan B scenarios. That was my whole point there in, in saying that. Now, there's a quote that I use sometimes in my presentations that I brought in here from Warren Buffett and it kind of fits today it's uh, it's better to learn from others mistakes than to make them yourself so um it's kind of what we're talking about here today but things happen so in in light of that um having clearly defined goals i think is very very important very uh very fundamental to being able to to uh, understand what you're trying to do, regardless if Plan A works or not, uh, because when you start going to Plan B, when something didn't work out, when when the um, the, the the annual ryegrass did not get a complete kill, well, uh, we wanted to use that annual ryegrass for a cover crop because of all the virtues of it. But what are our options now after that? You know, does does accent work as a post emergent herbicide and i'll just say um it can but it probably won't kill it completely so there's a lot of things there but the clearly the identified goal is we really need to terminate that annual somehow some way and just having that total commitment and learning all you can is is vastly important and um the idea of having a mentor or a resource person that you are able to connect with, that you have a relationship with. Those things typically happen, they're typically defined before you have a problem. In other words, you don't want to be like, uh, I'm say, figuratively speaking here, just scrambling on the internet to try to find the answer to your problem. Now, yeah, we got to do that sometimes. But when you're setting yourself up for success, if you have those one, two, three, or four different mentors like I have here, Frédéric Thomas from France, he's one of my main mentors um, in, in learning and understanding and promoting cover crops. Um, I have a few people here in my state of Pennsylvania that I tap into. We run things by each other. Uh, so what do you think about this and so forth? Having that network is going to help you to be uh, ahead of the game, to give you a better chance of making Plan B work. So, what I'm trying to say here is, set yourself up for success, even for a Plan B. And and um, and and as you as you guys know, my kind of my style is not necessarily to give out prescriptions for everything, but I want you and I want you to encourage those you work with to think for themselves to be able to understand how to navigate challenges. So have that network in place, I think, is critical to successful, uh, we'll say, plan B. Okay, that's enough of the foundation here. Let's build upon that. Here is my oops moment of the year. See in the middle there, a tiny little corn spike coming up through and you see surrounding it actually is triticale and there's also some hairy vetch and some crimson clover and in this mix here. The plan A was in my field was to plant the corn and then spray out the cover crop with glyphosate before corn emergence. Now, if you've been on this, uh, on these webinars the last couple weeks, you know that it's been very wet in my area. And so I'm going to try to maximize my cover crop. I'm going to let it go until the day before emergence. Now, again, this is only one field I'm talking about here. I can easily spray it. You know, it takes me an hour to do it, and I'm done. Well, what do you know? We have four straight days of rain. And, oops, the corn's coming up. Oh, by the way, it is non-GMO, So I don't have that backup option. And and I'm not saying you shouldn't plant GMOs. That would be a great reason here to eliminate this, maybe. I'm just saying it's a non-GMO corn. I'm actually growing it for a neighbor for silage. He gave me the variety. That's what he wants. So I feel a little bit more responsible here now to pull this off because it's his seed. I'm growing it for him. What do I do? And so I... um, Put out something out on Twitter. I put something out on Facebook. Some of you guys probably saw it. I talked to my local chemical rep. I talked to a few other people I know. And part of plan B here of trying to kill it, and there you can see a picture where part of it was going in. I I happen to have a weed wiper, in other words, where you can uh, use sponges that that just wipes the, the taller plants there. And and put you use glyphosate there, so it's one way to help terminate the existing cover crop. Well, I also uh, knew that that's not going to get near everything. The stage of the corn at this place at this stage right here was about two or three leaves high. So um, there is uh, a herbicide called Acuron, which is popular around here that has some activity on some grasses are mainly broad leaves and also it's partly a residual, what's in that mix. So I sprayed two quarts of Acheron, which uh, 2.7 quarts I believe is the, is the top rate, so two quarts. And I spiked it with half an ounce of accent to try to help control uh, my grasses that I can't get with the weed wiper. Now, right away, you're gonna say, man, that sounds expensive. It is, okay? This was not plan A, but I got to do something about killing this here, or at least slowing it up enough that the corn can can grow. Now, um, one of the things that I did have going for me is we were wet, and it stayed wet. So I wasn't really robbing moisture from the corn. So if you look close in this picture, you'll see some of the hairy vetches dying. That would have been from the Acheron before that that's uh, that's triticale there is still pretty green, and it did make me nervous. I will say that. I was a little worried uh, that this was actually going to burn down an- enough for my corn. But it did stay wet, so in that regard, I wasn't as, uh, as-, as worried, I guess you'd say, if it would have got dry and it would have been taking moisture from me. So this very morning, uh, I went out and took a picture here, and this is how it looks now. I- I'm breathing a lot easier. This is 15 inch corn for silage. You can see that my cereal rye, or triticale in this case, is, uh, is dying now. I think everything's gonna be just fine. Uh, but this, it took quite a bit of, it was phone calls, it was texts, it was tweets, it was Facebook, came up with this plan, and, uh, this is what I did for my situation. So you see, I had relationships out there. I had means of being able to get advice. And yes, there was different. I got all kinds of advice on Facebook and Twitter about what to do. Um, I, I will say this that one of our members, um, Brent Larson from uh, Iowa also had a similar situation. They used Corvus, uh, to take out, uh, to take out RAG cereal rye on corn that had been emerged on a non-GMO situation, so that would be another option. He says it worked. So I wanted to take you through that scenario of something that is just I'm I'm I'm, I'm right with there. So uh, the importance of having a group, having a network to tap into some of these things, I think is vital to make this happen. Now let's just talk about an experience I had with um, an equipment issue. So all these big covers are great, but when you start using spoked-type closing wheels, they can start to wrap. Now, I just took this picture here of about two years ago when I had this issue, and this is no fun when you have to either stop every once in a while and pull that out by hand or actually go back home and get the air wrench out and take each closing wheel off and take it out. That is definitely not a fun day when you have to do that. Um, so I, I, uh, I wanted to, and you may have seen this before, but there is deflectors out there now that you can get that solve this problem. And I feel one of the best ones is one from Yetter. Uh, they, they cost 46 bucks a pair there. They're very big. They're wide. They do the job. So if you have a spoke type closing wheel, this doesn't need to be a problem anymore. Um, and, and, but I need to take you back uh, about 12 or 15 years ago when I first had the Martin spiked closing wheels. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's when I started getting into bigger covers. And boy, do they wrap pretty quick. The cover crop doesn't have to be much higher than two feet, maybe three feet, and it starts wrapping. So what I did, and this is the key here, is I contacted um, uh, Martin, um, the people who sell the Martin speeding wheels, and actually talked um, to Howard Martin, the founder of Martin, and he made these deflectors for me. So I actually found these this morning in my shop, in you know, my big pile of stuff I no longer use, and any cover cropper no tiller usually has a pile of stuff sitting around they no longer use i found these and it was pretty cool because these may be the first deflectors ever made specifically for spoke type closing wheels howard made them for me special sent them to me and they worked okay i'll just say that they worked okay they solved the problem for there but as as you can see uh from the the previous slide here what we have now is much better than that but the problem was addressed. I didn't say, oops, can't plant into tall covers anymore, and I, I found a remedy. I went to the source at that time. I went to the top, if you will. So I just want to use that as another example of don't give up when you have a problem, when plan A does not work. Start thinking about who you can contact, who you can call, or figure something out yourself. And so just in me reflecting back, it was kind of cool to think how far we've come with a little problem that was annoying to now that problem is basically fixed. We have pretty good deflectors out there now, if you're planting into tall covers and using spoke closing wheels. Uh, Some of you may have seen this picture before. This is when I attempted to plant corn and sun hemp at the same time, essentially. Um, uh, And, Basically, the sun hemp grew right up with the corn and definitely suffered some yield loss there. I don't think I gained a lot from the nitrogen that the sun hemp might have produced for the corn. Don't do this again. So in this case, plan B was don't do this again. Uh, I literally had to end up harvesting at one row at a time because that sun hemp, the way the stalks were, no matter how I set the combine, it would just snap off. And it ran through the combine. It was like hay coming out the back. Um, so there are some times when plan B is never do this again. Now, that doesn't mean I'm never going to try sun hemp in corn, but I would do it later um, if, if to, to get the corn a head start. So I could say that was a take-home lesson there. But so sometimes plan B is simply don't do it again. Been there, done that, you know. So Okay, one more uh, scenario to run through here, and then I'd like to open it up for questions uh, or suggestions or, or whatever you may want to talk about. But in uh, 2016, I started growing forage because uh, I had an opportunity to sell to my Amish neighbors. This would have been after wheat, and I took a cutting off and then I, the, the second cutting started growing, and I thought, wow, it would really be nice to have planted my hairy vetch and triticale in July underneath that sorghum sedan and sun hemp, so that when I took a cutting off and I'm all ready to go for my winter annual cover crops, so I wouldn't have to come back and reseed. So in 2017, I did just that. And we actually talked about this uh, two weeks ago, or was it last week maybe, about using forages as cover crops. But I wanted to use this. Here is where plan A did not quite work. So plan B was a rather simple fix. So I planted sorghum sudan sun hemp. Crimson clover, hairy vetch, and triticale. I planted five different species. Now the first two were designed to take be taken off the cutting, and then the last three were designed to grow through the winter, in the fall, and then through the winter. And but because I was going with a forage, I planted the I had this forage rate kind of as a forage rate, and my hairy vetch, triticale, and crimson clover hardly any of it survived. So, because of the shading there, it just didn't survive underneath that canopy. I had to come back in and replant. Now, what you see in the picture there, you're saying, well, I see some stuff growing there. Well, most of that is sorghum sedan, and actually, there was some oil seed rape I had thrown in there, too. You can see a little bit of that growing, but not much. There definitely was not enough hairy vetch or triticale that I was satisfied with to keep that ground covered in the following uh, over winter. So... Uh, The lesson learned from that is if I want to do forage and if I want that higher seeding rate for forage, I probably can't put these two different uh, plantings together and make it work. Now, if I'm not planning on taking a forage, I would keep my seeding rates low on the sorghum sedan and sun hemp to allow enough sunlight to get in. To reach the, to reach the, the hairy vets and triticale and, and clever Clever was down there so they could just hang on and survive, uh, until the fall because, uh, the first frost will take out the sorghum sedan and Sunham. So I know that might be a little complex and hard to follow what I just said, said, but my plan B here is basically fine tuning a practice that I wanted to do. So I uh shared some specific examples there uh of plan B uh, of the way to think about this and 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 uh just going into a scenario is is important to have that in the back of your mind in case you have to rely on it if things don't work out. So I'm gonna uh unmute uh everybody. So you feel free to uh, ask the question. I wouldn't mind hearing a question or comments on this. And I would also welcome anything specific uh, that you want to ask uh, that we could discuss. So uh, how, does anybody have a specific question that would uh, relate to our topic today about how do you navigate Plan B or this is your scenario and what would I recommend? Anyone? I'm going to have to start picking on people here soon. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, do you have something?
1: Um, of course I do. Oh, I just please. was thinking about how I wanted to ask my question. I it's guess okay. um, um, two things kind of popped into my head, and I'll I'll go with the the first one that I've been kind of um chewing on in my brain a little bit. Yeah. Um, lots of times you talk about you have your plan A and you have your plan B, mm. and a couple of different times there you kind of talked about um. some of the times the failure or looking at these types of things and Mm -hmm. seeing if there's a failure or trying to get to the next success out of that. And um, Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important thing that we have to Mm -hmm. be comfortable with talking about. So I'm going to take this kind of like Mm -hmm. maybe beyond what we talked here about and go, because in conventional farming and working with farmers that are not in soil health systems, talking about... Getting through a failure and being okay with it and doing it again or trying mm-hmm. something again the next year mm-hmm. is a really hard pill to swallow.
0: Understood. Um,
1: and I think that's a really important thing that we have to focus on is instead of talking about things as, well, that was a failure this year, mm-hmm. we talk about it more as, well, that was your plan A and you mm-hmm. gotta let's, what was your plan B and, mm-hmm. and get people a lot more comfortable with that because mm-hmm. conventional mm-hmm. agriculture that we have now mm-hmm. doesn't it's too cookie cutter, and it doesn't like failure. We don't have failure, and failure yeah. is bad. There's yeah. never a learning experience. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really big thing that we have to deal with.
0: Yep. Well, well said, Stephanie. And I'll just, I'll just add to what you said. What I will, what I, my tactic when I hear a question uh, from a, we'll say a conventionally minded farmer, someone who's kind of like um, lo- looking, looking into the cover crop thing. If I, if I go back to that farmer and I'll say, well, what do you do when it's, and I'll just use a a real, a real example here. What do you do if it's June the 5th and you don't have your corn planted yet? Do you switch to soybeans? Do you mud it in? What do you do? Because that is a very real question that can occur from time to time. And, uh, the same thing can then be applied to cover crops because cover cropping is, is, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's just like uh, anything else in agriculture. And I think farmers tend to put cover cropping in a different category. Like, it's, and this is why I said that early on in my talk, that there's a lot of positive spin out there in cover crops. And that's awesome. That's great. We need that. Uh, but there's also reality. And farmers tend to think that, oh, I'm going to plant these cover crops and it's going to do magical things. And um, that's will happen sometimes. But when a farmer is challenged, a thing doesn't go as, 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 as well as he would like, Just you just have to you have to know how to say this, but ask a farmer what happens if you have a drought? Uh, what happens if you have a wet year? Does that mean, oh, I'm never going to plant corner beans again? It was dry and I got half a yield. I'm never going to do that again. Well, they wouldn't think of thinking that way. But that's the way they treat cover crops sometimes. And that's why, you know, I'm pretty famous for saying treat your cover crops like your cash crops. That fits right there. So um, that's very relevant, Stephanie, you brought that up. And sometimes you just have to help farmers how to think about it. It's agriculture. It's it's we have weather, you know, all kinds of things can go wrong. And I listed a bunch of them at the beginning here, but is that does that kinda help you think through to help give it to help the conversation with people like that? Is that helpful?
1: I I think it is, yeah, and I and I think that that we as as cover crop and soil health advocates, when we're talking Mm -hmm. with these farmers, we have to really we have to really be realistic Mm -hmm. about those those types of things. I think, and like you said, Mm -hmm. I think we have to try to be knowledgeable to help those people find. Mm -hmm. Other mm-hmm. farmers and advocates and things like that, because, you know, we can try to be, like you said, be a cheerleader and be a mentor, mm-hmm. but we can't, we can't, we have to have a large group of people, I think, to, again, mm-hmm. support these farmers as they're making that oh, switch. Yeah. And, and, uh, and we just have to be out there, I think. Uh, that's the biggest thing that I've learned too, is that when people are having plan problems with plan A and looking at going to plan B, mm-hmm. to, uh, if you can, if you're in the same state or close by, right? Mm-hmm. Try to mm-hmm. go to that person's place. Yeah. That's what I'm right. looking at trying to do. Because talking to them over the phone is good, oh. but nothing is like seeing that person's field and being Absolutely. there with them. Is, I think that's a really
0: important thing. That's a that's a very good on. point. A very good point, Stephanie. And I will I will second that heartily. There's there's nothing like going and seeing firsthand. Um, and I I can tell you story after story about about that. So. I wholeheartedly agree. I'll just say here that Eon uh, uh, just mentioned in the chat here that fail can be an acronym for first attempt in learning. So, oh, I like I, it, and, and that's that's an attitude right there, you know. And that's why I said partly too. I, I totally agree. There's an attitude toward that, and you, and you have to have that perspective uh, that is important um, in in being successful. That. You, you know, what do you learn from this? So, I know uh, Jennifer. I, w- I wouldn't mind hearing from you. You're you're an educator. Um, how do you handle people's failures? How do you? What's the what's the little things that you've found to be helpful in in handling a failure or plan B uh, situation in, in your line of work?
2: Well,
3: and I was just thinking about that because this year, it because we've been so wet here, you know, mm-hmm. like it seems like a lot of cover crops got away from people, maybe. Um, There's a couple of guys that I'm following pretty closely. I'm out to visit their fields often. And, like, so at first it took um, cover crops a long time to die. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that seems like that's finally getting, like, you know, they rolled something down and it popped back up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the herbicide that they used didn't work very well. And I was really worried. And now I'm just wondering, you know, we can kind of look – to, to the next year, you know, mm-hmm. there, like you were saying, there's some things that you can't really do anything about, right. but, you know, um, I think it'll be interesting because the thing that I see now is that the emergent corn isn't very even right. or not as even as um, we're, we're kind of told that it should be like, mm-hmm. you know, that even this is, is a real key to a good yield and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all I can do is, is sort of follow along with people and see mm-hmm. if that holds true at mm-hmm. the end of the season, um, mm-hmm. or if it comes to the end of the season and it wasn't—it turned out to be not so much to worry about—and yeah. try and document that, so that you can tell the story about what happened next year. Because if mm-hmm. you get to the end of this season and everything turned out a okay, mm-hmm. then you'll have a tendency to forget how like yeah. scary it looked at right. the beginning of this right. season.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, uh, Lisa, same, same question to you, Lisa. You're, you work with people all the time and I'm, I'm sure most of your job is helping people with plan B probably. So <laughs> what, what do you have to add to the conversation?
2: First, I want to address something that Jennifer said about, you know, how tough the corn looks right now. Mm-hmm. And this comes directly from moderating a farmer panel on Friday. Okay. And, um, asking Dan DeSutter. No, oh, yeah. Farmer from northwestern Indiana yep. about his crops that quite honestly look Pretty tough compared to his neighbors. Okay. And Dan had a wonderful statement, and it was, you know, I don't care about leading the first lap. (laughs) I care about leading the last lap. And time and time again, every year, it proves out that I'm ahead of the game on the last lap. Okay. And so he walked through the agronomics of why that corn was looking a little bit tough right now, and then into where the cover crops were actually going to be providing the nitrogen to that crop later on in the season. Okay. So um, I wish I could I could say everything he did verbatim. I'm not nearly I am not do not have that
0: eloquence. But um, well, yeah, I know I know Dan. That's myself. really interesting,
2: and, though.
0: Go ahead, Jennifer.
3: Oh, I just that's really interesting, though. Like that's a well, kind of a neat thing to be able to share.
0: And I think the point being made here by by all of you so far is uh, let's not let's not let's not prejudge what things look like now, because typically, I'll just say no till typically cover crops, typically soil health stuff, typically never looks the best early on. I think we all probably agree with that. It typically, it comes on later is when it really shines. And that's exactly what Dan DeSutter was saying. Uh, I love that because I'm a NASCAR fan. you want to lead <laughs> the last lap. So uh, I think I, I wrote that one down here. I, that's a keeper. Oh, uh, I, I like that so, one.
2: <laughs> so, Steve, the other thing I'm going to add, and this again yeah. comes from that field day and other experiences, is um, we really need to make sure that the farmers we're working with has somebody they can feel comfortable turning to Mm -hmm. one of the gentlemen on that panel he really didn't have that support until that day and realizing that he could ask Mm -hmm. dan Mm -hmm. and the two other farmers and they would be more than willing to help him yeah yeah so i think that's one of those things that we really do need to be aware of and support those especially in our
0: farmers and, and that's that is part of the role of educators uh to to be the bridge i mean i see myself filling that role um and i'll just put this out there i wasn't planning on sharing this but um here in pennsylvania we got linked up with the stroud water research center and i'll just be really brief but there is money out there that will help to fund and actually actually compensate some farmers for some of the the peer mentoring because you have someone like, I'll just use your example of Dandy Sutter. He's been around, uh, people know him, and he's willing to talk to a couple farmers, but when it gets to be 10 to 20 farmers, then he needs to decide am I a farmer or am I an educator or, you know, it'd be nice to get a little compensation once in a while for some of my time. So I don't know if those of you are, are, are involved with uh, maybe some funding sources that you could help some of your farmers to compensate them a little. There's a successful program here in Pennsylvania. Uh, I, w- I would be willing to tell you about that. Uh, it's, it's working well. It's, um, so I'll, I'll just leave it at that right now. But uh, it, it, it allows the best farmers the, to, to go a little bit beyond just the normal phone, or phone call or week or two. Ah, uh, because they're they're actually paying them quite well. Um, so, just for whatever it's worth, this whole topic today, I think it really fits uh, in order to have people being led through that Plan B. And I'm I'm glad you uh, support what I shared there—the importance of setting up a team, of mentors, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, setting up a network is key to make this happen. Very few do you see a maverick. Uh, out there that's just going to really make it happen there are exceptions but um, anyway so other follow-up comments and
2: and i'll add to that steve that was a comment that uh, one of the other farmers the host rick clark really wanted to send home with that field day is that nobody does this on their own yeah and that was the closing comment the closing question of the panel Mm. was have you guys did you do all that you have accomplished on your own and to a T they were all shaking their heads,
0: no. That's well, I, I've never actually thought of that before, but I, I immediately think that's a big no for me. I I mean I I'm pretty innovative, I'm pretty pioneering, but boy, I've learned most of what I know from other people. Uh I've just been able to apply it to my farm. And uh that's excellent. I wrote that one down, Lisa. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, other comments. Uh, see John's on John Johnson, uh, my neighbor farmer here in Pennsylvania. Do you have any comments uh, on how to handle Plan B? Maybe Brian. I see Brian's mic's on. Brian. Uh, I, you know what? I just had one question about uh, when you said about uh, like with your conventional corn, because uh, obviously here in Western Pennsylvania. We do a lot of conventional corn, okay. and that's one of the scary things that the scenario that you outlined where, you know what, all of a sudden the corn's up and I couldn't get sprayed. Yeah. Do you think that the, the risk-reward of trying to get that extra five or six days out of that cover crop versus having to go to that plan B, um, would it be better just on the conservative side to to just terminate that when the weather was right and then get it planted? Well, I'm still debating that, Brian, because, uh, I, I go back and forth because I'm thinking, I don't really want this to happen again. Actually, it's looking good, but the, the, the price, and I mean, I'm thinking economics. It's, I didn't price out, but it's like quadruple the cost I had to do just because of one day late, quadruple the cost. Right. And that's just a killer. Um, and it's not the end of the world. I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm right. happy it's turning out, but you know, I think, well, when did it ever rain four days in a row? Uh, I don't know. It doesn't happen very often. So I guess my answer to your question, Brian, is, uh, I'm probably going to, I, I, I would have done it different this year if I had the opportunity, but I'm not promising you I'll do it different next time because the chances of this happening again are very remote. Or I'm, and, and instead of, and again, my, my, my scale here is all relative to how big you are, but instead, instead of doing you know, fifty percent of my corn that way, which I did. Maybe I'll just do twenty percent and to, to wait to that last second, so to speak. I will say this: that in a scenario where it's dry, I would have been killing at planting or before killing if it was before planting if it was dry. Okay, but to answer your question, um, I'm willing to roll the dice a little bit sometimes, um, but I would probably be a little bit more conservative, just a little. <laughs> so yes. Especially with, the, especially with the, the non-traded conventional corn, right. because that, that is a huge part of our business. Yeah, which, uh, That just throws that little, like you said, you don't right. have that option to right. go back in the, you know, with the glyphosate and, and terminate. Right. Exactly, exactly. And again, as I stated, this was, this was for neighbor. I'm actually personally trying to get away from GMO corn anyway. I'm not like against it. I'm just saying I just am because uh, I'm growing a lot of stuff for the neighbors now, and that's what they want. So it works for me. Um, so that's what I'm doing. Other people want to chime in here, questions, comments? I'll just say that uh, next week I'm going to change gears a little bit. Uh, Lisa mentioned about field days. I've had quite a bit of experience with doing field days myself here in my farm. I've done many of them over the years, probably about 30 or 40, at least 30, I've done. Uh, been involved with others. Uh, so I want to talk about keys to a successful cover crop field day. And there's certain things to know. It's always a lot more work than anyone realizes if you never did it before, so I'm going to just put that out there. Uh, that being said, the rewards are very, very good in a lot of ways. Um, there's many a day, uh, the day before, I was like, why did I ever commit to this? And the day of or the day after, is was like, wow, that was awesome. So I'm going to try to help get you to the wow, that is awesome part. In, uh, and be able to do a cover crop field day. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. Um, but any other question at all about cover crops, this topic today on Plan B, or any other question at all? Other questions for about cover crops today? Anything? I see, Jennifer, you asked about the stroud program. I'll, I'll talk to you about that. Um, maybe we can talk sometime on that. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, so... Okay, well, um, I appreciate your time again today. Thanks for your support. Uh, Don't forget to go over and chime in on Facebook and uh, continue the discussion. And uh, we plan to see you next week. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Yep.